What is going on, beautiful people? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for once again joining me on the Quarterly Report Podcast. This is episode 75. We're 25 shows away from 100. I got to start game planning, man, and trying to figure out how to make the 100th episode special. But, you know, I got some months before we we uh, cross that bridge. But for today's episode, we got a really special guest, my guy, Wally and Kenzo host of Urban Sports Scene, man. You guys want to make sure you check out that podcast. He's going to be joining me this week to discuss boxing, the fall of HBO Boxing. I still kind of, even though I called it earlier in this year, I'm still kind of shaken by it, man, because when I think of boxing, I think of HBO, like more than almost anything, whether it's a person, promoter, fight, whatever the case, HBO Boxing kind of personifies boxing for me. So we're going to discuss that and the burgundy and gold and how they're covered in the Washington, D.C. area. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. It fooled me. We can't get fooled. Of course, that is the iconic quote by our former president, George W. Bush. No, no need to worry. No need to get all nervous. I'm not going to delve into politics this show. We're going to leave that alone. But I felt like that was the best way to introduce this segment to start the show because, you know, when I hear that and I hear our former president try to try to get the words and, you know, struggle to, to his overall point, that's kind of how I was feeling watching Monday Night Football this past Monday, man. As I'm sure many of you all who saw the game. This boy, Patrick Mahomes, number one, we got to find him a better nickname than Showtime. Okay? Showtime is dope for a team, right? Showtime Lakers, boom. That, that's going to go down in history, right? My daughter will have never seen Magic Johnson play, but she will know about Showtime Lakers. That's fine. Showtime as an individual? Nah, bro, you got it. Come on. Sean Porter, too. Showtime? Nah, 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 nah. We, we got to do better than that. So Patrick Mahomes in his second season, lighting the league on fire. The Kansas City Chiefs, despite an awful defense, still are one of the two undefeated teams in the league, the only undefeated team in the AFC. And not only are they winning, they're winning fun. He's playing this. He's playing quarterback the way Brett Favre used to play when, when I was a young boy, right? Like the way Michael Vick played when he was at his best in Atlanta. It's just fun, you know. So many times with football, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the NFL overall. But I feel like so many times the league forces its players not to have fun. You know what I mean? It's a game. You can't dance. You, you do too much. You know what I'm saying? It's like every time you turn around is a rule restricting, a written or unwritten rule restricting players to celebrate or have fun express themselves. The NFL limits expression for some unknown reason. And I hope the league doesn't kind of put its clamp clamps down on Mahomes or to a, 
a larger extent, Baker Mayfield, two young quarterbacks who in different ways express themselves and bring a certain level of fun to the sport. Baker, much more verbally, Mahomes just in the style he plays. It's amazing. And Monday night, I'm watching the game, watching them come back, and I can feel myself getting swept up, caught up in the hype. I don't. It's not even hype. It's not fair to say it's hype because he's producing four games into the season. But then George W. Bush in the back of my head fooled me once. You right? And then I start thinking. I was like, hold on now. This is exactly how it felt last year with Carson Wentz. Actually, this is exactly how it felt last year with Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. Then I started thinking again, hold on. This is kind of how it felt two years ago with Dak Prescott. Then my mind was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. We can keep on doing this because Derek Carr, this is kind of how people felt in Oakland with Carr a few seasons ago, right? When the Raiders won, what, 11 to 12 wins? You, you start to see the cycle. Every year or so, every other year, there's a lot of hype. And players catch the league by storm. They dominate. They have runs where you're like, yo, this is the next big thing. And unfortunately, unfortunately, whether it's injury, whether it's just the league catching up with you, whether the team loses talent from the skill positions or offensive line or whatever the case, it's hard to sustain. Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson, those two guys last season, looked like they were going to be the best two quarterbacks in the league within the next few years, right? And they both got hurt. Both of them. One, Watson got hurt in practice, and Wentz gets hurt running for a first down or a touchdown. I think it was a touchdown. Middle of the season. And then just like that, they got to recover. And it's not to say that they're not playing well now. It's just that what we all thought was going to happen took a bit of a pause. And now they got to work back up. Dak, God only knows what happened to Dak. I mean, I think it's a lot of things. The offensive line in Dallas is not what it was two years ago. The skill positions in Dallas is not what it was two years ago. And maybe, just maybe, Dak's just not as good as we thought he was in his rookie season. The league may have just caught up to him. And now this year, all we're talking about is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is doing things that you you wouldn't even try in Madden. He switches hands with Von Miller, literally breathing down his back, switches to his left hand, gets a huge first down conversion in lieu on his way to a game-winning touchdown drive. Like, it's amazing watching what he was doing on Monday night. But I'm trying not to get caught up in the hype because I've fell for this before. I fell for this several times in the last few seasons. You can go back to 2012. I thought, Art Slim, let me tell you something. This time back in 2012, October 2012, I was certain 
that 10, 20 years from now, there would be schools named after Robert Griffin III. I was certain the way he was playing in 2012 was unlike anything we had ever seen. And then boom, it all went straight to hell. <laughs> it went straight to hell. And you couldn't, you if, if you got into a time machine and flew back to October 2012 and told me how RG3's time in Washington would be spent and how it would end, I knew you would be full. It could be me from the future, me looking at myself, and I'd still say that I was full of you-know-what. But that's just how sudden things are in the NFL. We were anointing Derek Carr just a few seasons ago. Now we don't even know if he's in the long... I mean, of course he is, but we're starting to question if he's even an above-average quarterback, let alone a franchise quarterback. Andrew Luck was supposed to be the next greatest thing since sliced bread. And again, I'm not saying what happened to Carr is the same thing that happened to Luck and RG3 and Deshaun Watson. No, all of these guys have dealt with different circumstances. So it's not just one broad brush in which I'm trying to paint this picture. But I'm also just saying it's hard playing football. And although they are trying to make it much easier to play quarterback, it's hard being a quarterback, let alone a quarterback who's getting so much positive attention, so much hype, and deserved. It's hard. And the league will figure you out. And it's up to you to keep getting better. But it's also luck. Because let's say you hurt yourself in practice. Teddy Bridgewater, Deshaun Watson can speak to that. Let's say your offensive line can't block for you. Andrew Luck can speak to that. Let's say you are fighting for a touchdown and you're not really a runner, but you are mobile so you can move and you jump and just something out of the blue bangs your knee. Carson Wentz, Robert Griffin III can speak to that. And everything changes. Of course, I'm not speaking. I don't want this to happen. I had so much fun watching football on Monday night this week because he was electrifying. He was amazing. I'm watching this dude play. And I'm like, yo, there, there's just no adjective to describe him. There's none other than amazing. I remember watching Vic. When I was a young, like, you know, teenager, early 20s, thinking, okay, this dude got it. This dude has it. Luckily, it seems like Mahomes is more invested in the studying of the, the position of quarterback and learning. Michael Vick has come out and said that he didn't study when he was in Atlanta. He just was just so much, he just had so much more skill and athleticism and talent, just God-given talent than everybody else. So he was able to will his team to success based off his skill alone. Patrick Mahomes seems like he's putting the time mentally and physically into being the best quarterback. And that what we're seeing on Monday and what we've seen thus far this season speaks to that. But man, let's pump the brakes talking about how he's the best quarterback and this and the third because we just went through this last season with Carson Wentz. 
We literally just did this a year ago with Winston Watson. This year, it's golf and Mahomes. I love watching these two teams play. And if we're lucky, maybe we get them in February. Speaking of the Chiefs and the Rams. But, but, let's just use caution when we're projecting forward. Football, man, football is an unforgiving sport. And many future icons, many future MVPs, many future Hall of Famers fell short of their potential. Whether it's the league catching up to them, whether it's injury, or whether it's all types of unforeseen circumstances. I hope that Patrick Mahomes fully realizes his potential because he's able to do something that I don't know of many other players who've played that position is. He's got the personality, he's got the arm, he's got the skill, and he's got that it factor. But football, man, it takes more than four weeks to solidify yourself as an all-time great. All right, guys, that was the first quarter. Again, man, Monday night was amazing. If you feel the same way, if you think I'm being a little too critical, a little bit too cautious with my um, of my wait-and-see approach of Patrick Mahomes, hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Let me know if you agree with my cautious and my bit of apprehension uh before I anoint Patrick Mahomes the next best thing in football? Or do you agree with me? Let me know either way. All right, guys, we're going to stay on the gridiron for our second topic this week because Monday got me thinking about Patrick Mahomes, but Sunday, it got me thinking about a whole lot of other stuff on the football field. It's our second quarter this week. Second quarter. You know, oftentimes I have people email me or tweet the show saying, you know, I wish you guys would debate a little bit more. I like when you're, you and your cousin are going back and forth, but you need to debate a little bit more often. And I appreciate any criticism, any critique that you all who listen to the show faithfully want to give. Honestly, like you all been rocking with me for now 75 weeks. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a lot. You know, it's over a year, about a year and a half, really. So, I appreciate you guys, you know, taking the time to listen to the show one and to to kind of voice your opinion about how we can make the show better or what you like about the show and that things of that nature. But I say all of that to say, you know, I'm a bit cautious when it comes to debating. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's natural, boom, I'm cool with it. And, you know, oftentimes during an interview or when my cousin is on the show, we do have a natural kind of back and forth. And I feel like oftentimes it's because it's organic and because we just have two totally different opinions. It's cool because sometimes expressing your perspective or your point of view, and I don't want to say enlightens, but it helps see helps people see where you're coming from and, and not necessarily change anyone's idea, but makes them more flexible when it comes to having an opinion, right? Always considering someone else's perspective. And I think that's a dope thing. But I feel like what has happened with us as a sports society is that everything now is a debate. And when everything is a debate, we've been conditioned to always have pick a side, essentially. Like one side has to be right, so one side has to be wrong. And that is just 
beyond exhausting. Just thinking about the embrace debate culture, if you will. Every show on every sports network now, it's got at least two people arguing. And you just argue to the point where no one even cares anymore, right? You're just arguing to hear yourself speak. And that's one thing with this show specifically that I never want to get to. So I'm even, I'm like super cautious when it is a debate or a back and forth going on because I don't want it to, to devolve into, you know, just another screaming segment of people just spewing out talking points and not listening and not, you know, making a, a rational disagreement. You understand? And this past Sunday gave me the perfect ammunition as to why this embrace debate culture that we've cultivated in sports is just awful. Much like all of you all Sunday watching the Arizona Seattle game and Earl Thomas goes down and it didn't seem like it was a huge collision, but he stays down and then they bring out the car and this, everybody's like, Oh man, are you serious? This is how it's going to play out. We see Earl Thomas gets, get carted off the field. The announcers remind us that this is how Richard Sherman, how his career in Seattle ended at Arizona. This is also how Cam Chancellor, his career ended at Arizona. In fact, this is where Russell Wilson throws the interception in the Super Bowl versus New England. I believe that was in Arizona as well. So everyone's like, oh, man, they're cursed. And then you just start thinking about Earl Thomas. And this is specifically what he was worried about. He wanted a long-term contract because, A, he had outperformed his contract, and, B, he held out. He was missing practice because he was like, man, I have to make sure I'm healthy for free agency next year because if you're not going to pay me, somebody else will, and I need to make sure that I have my body and my mind ready for my next big paycheck. Now, it's, it's important for me to make sure you all know that anytime. Anytime there is a, a disagreement, if you will, right, between player and owner ownership or even players in leagues like CBA disagreements and lockouts situations, I'm almost always on the side of the player, right? The players are the people who entertain me. The owners, they do all this other stuff, and I'm not trying to, you know, dismiss what it is that they do they make the league profitable they do things outside of sundays or outside of the game day no matter what league we're talking about and you know kudos to them i'm not knocking them but what makes me a fan is not the owners it's not the coaches it's not the refs it's the players on the field on the court on the ice diamond in the ring etc so i'm almost always supporting play I say that to say Earl Thomas has a legit beef with the Seattle Seahawks, especially considering how his season most likely ends. But the Seattle Seahawks are also right in this dynamic. Earl Thomas was carted off, flipping off, I'm assuming, Pete Carroll and, and figuratively the front office of the Seattle Seahawks as he was being carted off the field. And I'm sure he was upset specifically because this is what he feared. He wanted a larger contract 
because he wanted to make sure he was secure. And he was like, if it's not going to be in Seattle, trade me, but I want to get paid because I'm playing a violent game and I don't, and I've outperformed my contract and I don't know how many snaps I have left, which is a legitimate, completely fair perspective. But also on the flip side, Seattle, they didn't want to pay him. They didn't want to pay him precisely because he's a 30 year old safety who plays a tough, violent sport. And he had already hurt his leg two years ago. So if you're the Seahawks, I understand. I wish Earl Thomas would have got paid because I don't know how much money he's going to make for the rest of his career. I don't know if he's going to have a career after this, honestly. So, of course, I wanted him to get paid, but I understand from a business perspective why Seattle was like, Slim, we're not going to pay you. We can't pay you any more money because we don't know. We don't know if you're going to make it. You are you're approaching 30 and you have an injury history. Don't tell me that doesn't make sense. And that's the thing, man. You can we can debate all day until our faces turn blue, but sometimes, actually, I would argue most times, there's nuance, there's gray. You ever have a a, a fight with your, with your girl or for anybody listening, your guy, whatever the case may be, and you're upset because this, that, and the third, and they're upset because something completely different and you guys are just yelling at each other back and forth, not listening, being like, okay, I'm mad at this. And this is a direct response because you're mad at this. And if we just talk this thing out and just chilled out a bit, this is so small, we can move past it. But when you're caught up, right. And, and it's a debate culture and well, you know what? I'm right this time. And you know what? I've, you've been treating me, this, that, and the third, so I'm not going to let this slide. And they feel the same way, then y'all just dig in. And there is no compromise. There is no reasoning. There is no nuance. It's just a fight. And it's a wasted, a wasted night, a wasted week, a wasted weekend, vacation, whatever the case may be. More times than not, once you start breeding and feeding into a debate environment, there ain't going to be any reasoning. And unfortunately for Earl Thomas and the Seahawks, there's no reasoning left. Seattle, unfortunately for Earl Thomas, they were right. They didn't want to pay him because he was an injury risk at his age and because of how he plays the game. A brutal game at that. And now Earl Thomas is like, boom. What am I supposed to do now? And I feel for him. But it then makes me start thinking about Le'Veon Bell. Because Le'Veon, he engaged with Pittsburgh. He has clearly outperformed that contract. I have no idea. Seattle didn't want to pay Earl Thomas a bigger contract because two years ago he hurt his leg. And, you know, he was talking about possibly retiring. And it's a, it's a boxing saying, and we're going to get to boxing a little bit later in the show, but... It's a saying in boxing, man, and I think it rings true in any type of super physical sport. The moment you start thinking of retirement, you might as well call it quits because the body starts thinking too. And the body can't go back and forth between considering retirement. The body's telling you 
this may not be it. The mind is trying to will you. All right, we can do this some more. The body, once the body lets you know retirement is an option, it's probably the best bet. Because the body doesn't waver. The body doesn't, the body doesn't get persuade. Okay? The body, it lets you know what it's feeling immediately. The mind it can play tricks on you all day. You can be convinced. Money can change your mind. Women can change your mind. The weather can change your mind. Fame can change. All these things can change your mind. None of that's changing your body. So I get why Seattle was hesitant after Earl hurt his leg, after he started talking about retirement a few years ago. Le'Veon hasn't had anything like that. Le'Veon, every time he comes in, I mean, obviously when he started, he had the little marijuana situation, boom, boom, off the field troubles, whatever. But when he's on the field, he's a dog. He's a monster. No serious injury recently. And every time he steps on the field, he performs, and that offense is clicking. So I don't know why Pittsburgh didn't want to pay Le'Veon a few seasons ago. Because, again, it was clear he has outperformed his contract. Like We talked about this a few weeks ago when it was Khalil Mack or Aaron Donald. When you get a guy who is special, who is elite, why wouldn't you want to keep him happy? But Le'Veon didn't go back and forth. He tried to negotiate. He was like, all right, man, y'all not trying to do it. Boom. Earl Thomas, he didn't participate in offseason, but he came in before camp to be a good soldier, if you will. And this happened. Le'Veon's not playing. Le'Veon knows he has to come back before, I think it was what, before week 10, I want to say, to get that, to get his money and to be able to be a free agent next season. And that's exactly what he's going to do. And he absolutely should do because all of these NFL players are independent contractors. The league does not care about your future. The league only cares about how productive you will be when you are wearing that team's colors and how they can squeeze every drop of of talent and of ability they have when you're playing for them. Le'Veon Bell knows that if he plays for the Steelers this season, they're going to run him ragged. So he's like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep my body as fresh as I possibly can so I can maximize my earning potential. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in that same token, there's nothing wrong with the Seattle Seahawks being, I don't really want to pay Earl Thomas $16 million because he's about to be 30 and he has an injury history. Two totally different sides. Two totally different opinions. And neither ish, neither side, neither perspective is wrong. It just depends on your point of view. And in this embrace debate culture that we've cultivated and bred, oftentimes that simple point is lost. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means the first half is in the books. Once again, I want to thank each and every one of you all for checking out quarterly report podcast a few house cleaning issues to get to before we get to halftime make sure you download subscribe and leave me five star reviews on apple podcast and itunes thanks for everybody for checking in with the show and for subscribing but make sure you let me know let the world know and let 
your friends and everybody else know what you think about the show. Leave me some five-star reviews if you don't mind on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, get in touch with me and the show via Instagram. We're at Quarterly Report on Instagram, and we've got a lot of really fun, dope things going on that page now, man. We started the Wire NBA Comparison Season 2 again this past Monday. I started Season 2 with Andrew Wiggins. See who I'm comparing the former number one overall pick to from West Baltimore. Which character from the Wire is most like Andrew Wiggins? And every other Monday, we're going to do it again for this season. So we've got all these players that we didn't touch from Season 1 all the players in the NBA and all these great characters from The Wire. See if you agree with my comparisons. Again, that's on Instagram, Quarterly Report, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, Report. Also, tweet the show at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, Show. Give me your comments. Give me your feedback, topics that you want to hear me discuss, or things that you just completely disagree with me. It doesn't matter. It's all fun. It's all love. Make sure you follow me on on Twitter, Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. And remember, each Friday, we're doing a thing called Top 5 Friday, hashtag Top 5 Friday, T-5-F. Each and every Friday, I'm giving you a top five list, whether it's sports, movies, music, whatever. Anything that's entertaining, anything that's piqued my interest, I'm ranking top five of different categories each and every Friday. Make sure you check us out on Quarterly Show on Twitter. And of course, you can email me your comments, your concerns, your issues, your agreements, things you agree or disagree with, whatever the case may be. Email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's quarterlyreport, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. As for halftime this week, I got to come clean to you guys, man. I take joy out of throwing jabs at tweaking Kobe Bryant's stance. Now, I've talked about this in the past. I think Kobe Bryant's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play in the league, ever, without question. The funny thing is, Kobe resides at a place where the two extremes, the people who really, really love Kobe, the stands, and the people who really, really hate Kobe, depending on your company, he's either the greatest, one of the most overrated players ever, or he's one of the most underrated players ever, which is crazy to me. Kobe Bryant is one of the best players of all time, but some people will have you believe that he's right there with Michael Jordan. Likewise, Kobe Bryant is one of the greatest players of all time, but some people would have you think that he's just an average, he's, he's just a regular run-of-the-mill shooting guard, high-usage player, Jerry Stackhouse-esque, and both are ridiculous. Kobe is a great player. Kobe is one of the greatest of all time, but Kobe Bryant does not deserve to be placed with the Michael Jordans, the LeBron Jameses, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbars. He's not on that level. The Magic Johnsons, and then that's fine. But when you get the Kobe Hive mad, not necessarily mad at you, because we've, we've all seen people who love Kobe, they're ready to fight for that giant. They are ready to fight for that. But this week, oh my goodness, it was hilarious. I don't know who it was. I don't know why they did it. But the Matt Barnes, Kobe Bryant kind of inbound pump fake 
that became a topic of discussion. And man, it was CSI all day on social media. People breaking. It was the damn Zapruder film. They had all the angles. Did Kobe Bryant flinch? Was a legit topic on a Tuesday afternoon as the NBA season, as baseball's playoffs were in the in full swing, uh, hours after Patrick Mahomes. We will break it down. Kobe Bryant, Matt Barnes, foul from 2008. Like it was the damn Zapruder film. But it, it, it just is another reminder. You don't want to play with the Kobe Hive. Take a listen. What if I told you the most amazing inbounds ever? Oh, hell no, the man. the case of smoke and mirrors. What? And that the Black Mamba is nothing more than a garden snake. You mean to tell me ESPN, ESPN is hating on the one and only Kobe Bryant? A 30 for 30 special. They've gone too far. Fuck this way. Fake news, man. Fake news. LeBron. See, I knew it. I knew LeBron's ass couldn't be trusted. That's all right. I'm booing his ass. And all the murals they pin up on LeBron, they coming down. I thought to cancel my subscription to ESPN. Except for ESPN Plus, I need to see Kobe's detail. Matter of fact, I'm about to write a strongly worded message and drive all the way out to Connecticut. Somebody gonna see me about this. We got some problems. I swear, man, every time I feel like I've seen it all, something new just takes my breath away. The fact that this was even news. First off, let me just say, I'm playing with the Kobe fans out there, Slim. The idea that Matt Barnes was that close, it doesn't matter if Kobe was straight ahead, slightly to the side. The fact that Matt Barnes did the little pump fake that close to Kobe's face, all of us, all of us would have flinched, okay? So I'm not arguing with the fact that Kobe Bryant, you know, he was legit in a position that flinching would have been a normal reaction. But the idea that we give praise, like, like this is somehow like a bellwether moment of Kobe Bryant's career, or like why he's great, is that he didn't flinch when Matt Barnes did like a basketball move right in front of his face. It's crazy to me. And it kind of highlights how people just worship at the altar of Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's one of the best players of all time. And Kobe Bryant has moments of putting Yao Ming, Dwight Howard, Alonzo Mourning, et cetera, et cetera, Patrick Ewing on posters. But more people talk about this little inbounds play than they do of any of those moments. You understand what I'm saying? It's crazy. And Bama's was really upset. I, again, the, the two extremes of Kobe Bryant, man, that needs to be a 30 for 30 for real. Because the people who hate Kobe are crazy. Absolutely crazy. And their insanity is only topped by the people who love him. Straight up and down. Man, we it's, it's something. It's something. But if you're on the sidelines, if you're someone like myself who enjoyed Kobe, but don't drink the Kobe Kool-Aid, Hey, man, it's been a fun week just sitting back and checking it all out. Speaking of sitting back and checking it out, man, we got two quarters left for you all to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So we've made our halftime adjustments. We're going to finish the show up strong with our third quarter featuring my guest this week, 
Wally Akinso. Third quarter. You know, one of the best things about doing this podcast over the last year and a half is getting the opportunity to meet some really, really dope people who are like-minded, not necessarily in how we view sports or entertainment, but getting out your own platform, getting out your own uh, content. And luckily, one of the people that I've met along the way has been a really dope guy, man. You, you guys in the area know him from the host or one of the hosts of Urban Sports Scene, the Urban Sports Scene podcast. My guy, Wally Akinso, making his first appearance on the Quarterly Report. Wally, man, what's going on, bro? Hey, what's going on, Armand? I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, I first I want to say thank you to my man Troy from uh, Truth About It. Uh, he, he linked us up, so he gets all credit in the world. And it's cool to meet like-minded individuals, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shout out to Troy. Guys, make sure you follow my guy Wally on Twitter. He's at Urban Sport Scene. That's sport singular. No S at the end. Urban Sport Scene. And also make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review his podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your pods. Give him five stars, reviews, the whole nine, man. Really dope podcast that he does, bringing sports and entertainment in a unique and different way now wally i've been fortunate enough to be on your show a few times now and each time we've talked it's been about boxing so that's kind of where we're going to start um the sport is thriving and i want to start there uh because despite what some outlets may will have you believe boxing is doing really really well but last friday I don't know, one of the pillars, at least for me, when I think of boxing, I think of HBO boxing. But they're bowing out of the boxing business at the end of 2018, man. And although I think the writing was on the wall for some time, the news was shocking still. So, first off, give me your thoughts on, I guess, the demise, if you will, of HBO boxing. And what are some of your most fondest memories of watching the sport on HBO. You know, it's funny. I, you know, once I heard the news, I thought about something you said. Like, you were talking about once they lost Canelo, like, HBO was, it's like, down, going down the drain. And as yeah. soon as that happened, like, they decided, okay, we're out of the boxing business. Right. So, it was like, wow. It, it, you know, it's it's crazy because you saw it you know, little by little with Canelo. You saw it, truth be told, it started off with Mayweather deciding to, to cut, to jump yeah. off ship with um, HBO. So, you saw something. You saw it you know, coming to an end. You saw the popularity of HBO boxing coming to an end. And, like, and but still, to me, and this is me, I hear other people talk about production with HBO, and they're not, they're not big fans of how they produce their boxing segments and whatnot, or the boxing fights, excuse me. For me, I'm still a fan of their their format, their programming, and their, I guess, their experts, rather than, like, listening to Showtime or, you know, PVC or whatnot. Because right. I'm listening to HBO, I respect listening to Roy Jones Jr. I respect listening to Max Cullerman or Lampley. So for me, like them ending it, I don't, I don't feel like it's truly over. I think that you know down the road they'll come back into they'll get back into the business of boxing. But right now they're they're just, they're, not, they're just not gaining momentum and they're losing momentum, right? So on the flip side, like you mentioned, my fondest memories. So I like growing up, I you know we, my family we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't have HBO, right? So growing right. up, I didn't get to see Tyson fight. Early, right. like in, in its heyday, but I will say, like, um, seeing people like I call it one of the golden eras of boxing in terms of welterweight, um, right? Welterweight, 
seeing people like Trinidad fight, uh, like yeah. Trinidad fight and Fernando Vargas and stuff that stood up to me. Because I remember that fight, I remember thinking like Vargas, you know, he's an up and coming young boxer, and right. he's not scared to fight the big, the big bad bullies on the block, right? You saw him fight Trinidad. I believe he fought. I remember certain fight. He did fight. He fought Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah. So you saw you got to see Felix Trinidad, you know, Oscar De La Hoya, Fernando Vargas. You see that you got to see those guys fight, and then also. One one fight that stood out to me was on Trinidad fought um, B Hop right, yeah. and I'm and I'm a I'm a Felix Trinidad fan right like I'm loving Felix I'm loving Felix I'm thinking all right Felix don't get B Hop B Hop fights dirty he's not clean <laughs> you know he's smooth Felix got power both hands you know he's smooth and then like to see how B Hop beat Trinidad and even like the promo to that fight how B Hop B Hop they would go to Puerto Rico and B Hop B Hop threw the flag and stuff yeah. going up what, and whatnot it was just that to me. You know, that time of boxing was great and ideal. And even, and it's going to be a smaller guy watching like Prince, uh, Prince, Prince Nadine, yeah. you yeah. know, him fighting. Like that was a spectacle, right? Back yeah. then, that, the way they kind of pumped him up and promoted him. So, you know, HBO, HBO boxing is always going to be to me, regardless of what Showtime does, um, regardless of, you know, PVC, I think HBO to me will always be the king of kings of boxing. Unfortunately, they dropped the ball, and that's on them. That's something they're going to have to probably during this break in this process. They're going to probably have to kind of rework things, and while they have, while they're on this hiatus, kind of watch what's going on, and then definitely, and after that, they're going to have to kind of you know learn from that and come back up. Because I think I still think boxing is HBO. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guest this week, Wally Akinzo, co-host of the Urban Sports Scene podcast. Make sure you guys download, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you listen to pods. And check out his podcast Tuesday nights, man, on Podbean. Again, head on over to his Twitter account, Urban Sports Scene, Urban Sports Scene, to check out all the details on when you can listen to the podcast live on Podbean. And, you know, HBO Boxing, you know, they've made their name, whether it was Tyson, you know, uh, Roy Jones, De La Hoya, Floyd, Canelo, these were some of the faces of the sport. And now, when it comes to American boxing fans, one of the biggest faces for the sport in terms of ratings is Deontay Wilder. You know, the last three or so of his fights have all hovered around a million um, total households in terms of rating shares. So, you know, he is a, a draw when it comes to the sport. That being said, you and I were going back and forth on this last week. I was under the assumption that Tyson Fury's fight with Deontay Wilder was going to be a Showtime televised broadcast. Come to find out, they are selling this fight on pay-per-view. Now, at the time of this recording, we do not know the prices for the pay-per-view fight. But I am extremely skeptical about Wilder as a pay-per-view draw. What are your thoughts on his, I guess, markability and what this fight will do in terms of generating money? Well, let's, let's, let's start from here. Like, folks don't like paying for pay-per-views anyway. Right. Right? They don't. And especially now where you can get a good boxing fight without even paying for it. Yeah. What I mean by that is with PBC and ESPN, look at what they're doing. Like, you, yeah. don't have to, you don't have to pay to watch a, a high-quality boxing fight. We saw um, not too long ago, uh, we saw Garcia versus Thurman. That's better yeah. than this Fury. This is better than Fury versus Wilder, right? In terms of yeah. competition. Um, so, 
to me, on a business standpoint, it's a bad move for it to get pay-per-view right. I, it, while it is a draw, but not a draw in a pay-per-view sense, a draw yeah. in rating sense. That's totally different. We're talking about two separate things. Like, you're not going to die if you don't see Wilder fight. You get what I'm saying? But if Wilder's on TV, you will, you do want to catch you him. Because he's a, yeah, you want to check him out. So he is a guy because he's an American heavyweight with charisma, yeah. with punching power. You want to see that. But, again, it's like, it's, like, it's like saying, all right, so it's like saying uh, the, the, the Klitschko's, right? Mm-hmm. Talented, bro- talented boxers, both yeah. are talented. Power, they own the, they own the heavyweight division for, for, for quite some time. But you're not paying pay per view to see them. Yeah, you know what I mean. So even Lennox, even Lennox, even Lennox, and I was yeah. even Lennox. I was, that was my next example. Like Lennox, you don't, you're not going to pay to see Lennox. Now if Lennox is fighting, say, an Evander Holyfield because right. of the nostalgic feeling of Evander Holyfield back in the day. You're like, okay, yeah, I want to see that fight. I kind of want to pay for it. Or Tyson, right? The nostalgic yeah, feeling because it's because of Tyson. You you'll pay for that, but you're not going to pay to see Deontay Wilder because again, he's not there yet, and he's not deemed the best. He's not a Mayweather. He's Deontay Wilder. It's not a knock on Deontay. Deontay has worked hard to get where he's at, and he again, he does have – he is a draw. He's not a pay-per-view draw. Those are two separate things. He's Never a draw. Been. He's just not a pay-per-view draw. Absolutely. I mean, we literally just saw it a few weeks ago, right? Gennady Golovkin on television is a draw. He moves the needle on television, especially during his knockout streak. He was mowing fighters down. It was fun. It was exciting, and he would draw on television. But a few years ago, they put him on pay-per-view versus David Lemieux, and no one bought the fight. It was about 175, 180,000 pay-per-view buys. He then fights Canelo, and they sell 1.3 million pay-per-view buys the first fight, 1.1 pay-per-view buys the second fight at $85 a pop. You know, Canelo is a pay-per-view draw. In fact, in this sport, not counting Mayweather because we don't know what's going on with him, the only guy who moves the needle on pay-per-view is Canelo, you know? So I, I see, because look, man, this fight is intriguing because of the possibility of Wilder fighting Anthony Joshua. And one of the reasons I'm so concerned about this fight is that I feel if Wilder puts this fight on pay-per-view, which he is doing, and no one buys it, that significantly hurts his leverage. What little leverage he has, mind you, hurts his leverage when it comes to trying to negotiate a deal with Anthony Joshua moving forward. And and I don't think Anthony Joshua, to be honest, is a pay-per-view fighter. He's never been on pay-per-view stateside. He does Sky Sports over in the UK. But we have no idea if his fighting style and his personality translates to the American buying public. And I will say this to your point. I don't think Anthony Joshua was a draw in the state. I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. I think that uh, it goes he, in, in terms of in, in Europe, in London, um, he's a draw. He's a yeah. big draw. He's a bigger star than Deontay Wilder because yeah. of because of his, his 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 star power over there, right? Right. Because he has a world draw. That's different. A world draw. But when you're looking at here in the states, say that he's fighting in Vegas, he's only going to Anthony Joshua will only be a draw now, and I feel confident enough to say this if he fights with Deontay Wilder. Exactly. One, because you're thinking to you're thinking to yourself. Two of the best going at it. Now that's a draw. Now we're get, Now you got a pay per view. You got a pay per view fight, right? But yeah. separately against some of the against other heavyweights, they're not draws. Nah, I, I agree. And and Eddie Hearn obviously is the promoter for Anthony Joshua. And say whatever you want about Eddie Hearn, man. He's a snake. He's a weasel. He's slimy. I'm not disagreeing. But one thing that he is 
absolutely is a smart businessman. You know he's going to look at these numbers and see exactly what they pull from a pay-per-view from a, a, a earning potential, right? Because the big fight in the heavyweight division, obviously, is AJ and Deontay. If you mess it up or if you show that you can't draw, then you you are putting yourself in a position where you are literally at the you're you're a slave to Hearn and Joshua in whatever whatever however they want to dictate the terms. So my next question to you, and it's simple: Where do you? What are your projections for this fight in terms of pay per view buys? I am I feel like I'm being generous and saying 225 is going to be where this fight uh, ends up topping out at, but. Fights like Kovalev and Andre Ward went for like 150, 170. So I'm even skeptical at 225. I don't even know it's going to get that. You know, yeah. I think Kovalev and Ward gets way more. I don't even think it's getting that. You know what I mean? Like, because you had two, at least from Kovalev and Ward, you had two guys you respected. You yeah. know, two guys you respected. A lot of people thought Kovalev could beat. We're talking about one, right? We're talking right. about one, right? So a lot of people thought Kovalev could beat Ward because Ward was the undefeated fighter. He took a break. And, no, and, and again, Ward isn't even... A draw, a draw in his own. He's not a draw. But again, it's the it's the it's the thoughts, right? He's coming yeah. off this break. He just did this bullcrap B um B E T thing, right? Yeah. And then now he's still top five pound for pound. Exactly, right? Yeah, still top five pound for pound. But now he's going back into like it looks like now he's more serious serious and now he's stepping up and he's fighting Kovalev, right? That's everyone's like, also Kovalev. top five pound. And, exactly. And everyone's right. saying that like, Kovalev, he's gonna knock out war. Like war can't stay in front of him, this, that, and the other, right? And that was the draw in its own self, right? It's because you're getting two guys at the best of at the best of their abilities. One who was at one he was boxing regularly was pound for pound to me the best boxer in the world, other than Floyd Mayweather Jr. And another guy that everybody thought is coming up to take this crown. So that was that to me was a draw in its own. Well, again, and that's again we're saying with Ward not being a true draw, right? That's a yeah. Ward not being a true draw. Here you got you got. You got Fury, who's a joke. I'm, I'm, I don't care, he's a joke. Hi. And then you got, and then you have, um, you have Wilder. One is you're hoping that can be the next big thing, right? Because you basically the reason why you want to see this fight is because you're anticipating Joshua. That's all yeah. this fight's about in terms of being a pay per view fight. Truth be told, the reason why this fight is could be like reason what I guess the reason why they're trying to make this a pay per view fight. It's still with a cloud of Anthony Joshua. So exactly. you want me to, if you want to keep it a hundred, keep the buck. Anthony Joshua deserves part of this profit too, as well. They do get paid with you because all it is the Anthony Joshua. If you beat him, you could you're just gonna fight Anthony Joshua. That's the mindset. If you beat him, next to be Anthony Joshua. So this yeah. fight, the only reason that it could be a pay per view fight is because the whole notion and the premise is that Anthony Joshua is next. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, co-host of Urban Sports Scene Podcast, Wally Akinzo. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Urban Sports Scene. And make sure you guys do yourself a favor, download, subscribe, and rate and review the Urban Sports Scene Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And each and every Tuesday night, check them out. Their live show uh, details on his Twitter account. Again, Urban Sports Scene. You can check that out on Podbean. All right, so, you know, we we could talk boxing all show long, but I'm going to get you out of here with this last question, and it's going to be focused on the NFL. Um, the Burgundy and Gold have, through, through three games, they had an early bye week. As we stand now, they are atop the NFC East division. So there's a lot to be positive, a lot to be happy about, 
from the Washington standpoint. Now, I'm not saying they're Super Bowl contenders in the chlor- and of course they have their own flaws. But I, I use that as context because every time, every time Kirk Cousins is on television, some, I'm not going to name any names, but one personality in particular goes out of his way to just gush over him. Now, full disclosure, I was wrong about Kirk Cousins initially, right? When he first started as the starter in D.C., I did not think he was going to be special. He quickly proved me wrong, and I, when I'm wrong, I own it, right? Kirk Cousins far surpassed any, any expectations that I had for him. And he is legit one of the best quarterbacks in this league from a top 15 to 12 perspective. That being said, man, it is annoying. And I'm not even a skin fan. Anytime Cousins does something, you know, you have people with radio shows and television shows and who have these large platforms. They rave and review about the guy. He's not here anymore, you know, and it's now starting to be, you know, complimenting Kirk comes at the expense of Alex Smith, right? So you'll compliment Kurt and then throw shade to Alex Smith. Am I wrong in how I'm assessing that or how, or better yet, how do you view the local media in one, again, a few people in particular and how they rave about Kurt Cousins? No, you're, you're 100%, 100% correct about it. Um, I've, this is an issue I've had for a while now. And it's almost, it's funny, right? Because a lot of people when I don't call I don't call him RG anymore. Robert Griffin because because right. he's not good enough to be RG anymore. <laughs> um, when Robert Griffin was here, a lot of people used to and and even when Cousins took his slot, a lot of pe- those same people that you're talking about were annoyed that they would still talk about Griffin, right? Right. You, you know, and he's saying and now they're doing the same thing with Kurt. The same thing. And, and I've always said this, like, they're the same people, like Kirk and, and, and Robert Griffin, they're the same people. They just, do, they just did things differently. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Griffin wanted attention, you know, with All In for Week One and, you know, some of the things yeah. he said. And then Kirk, you know, creating T-shirts and selling it or copyright, you, you like that. Yeah, it's, it's the same Dang. thing. It's a different. It's different. Um, but I'm gonna talk. So let me talk about which the, the initial topic, though. The um, reporters, reporters and personalities, right? Radio personalities. Right. You're referring to, right? Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So I thought I thought I thought hard about this, and you know, being an African American, I've always kind of tried to like not use the race card. I really, right. I really try not to. I like right. I really try not to. And at first, initially, that's what I thought. Like, I thought, like, okay, you're getting the white quarterback. And, you know, compared to Robert Griffin III, you, you're trying to hype up the, the, uh, the other guy. Right? Yeah. And that's why, that's what initially it started. But now, like, I'm I'm going to go away from that. Because at the, at the same time, this is starting to be too much for me. Because yeah. you're, you're, and cause you're diminishing now. They're trying to diminish Alex Smith for a quarterback who, right now, I believe the Minnesota Vikings record is 1-2-1. One, one. Yes. I'm correct. So he has right. a losing record? And Alex Smith is two one is two and one, who has a winning record. So the thing is that people are this is the issue. People who have always been fascinated with Kirk Cousins' stats that he always gives you three hundred, four hundred yards. But at the end of the day, they're losing stats. Yep. And I heard Marcellus Wiley said that he said this on with uh, Jason Whitlock. I'm not a big fan of Jason Whitlock. But he said this with him, <laughs> and he said like you know Kirk Cousins. This is the guy, the kind of guy he is. And he referred to the Buffalo game. A lot of people want to ignore the Buffalo game. Buffalo is one of the worst teams in football. You see him with the Green Bay Packers did to him. 
Um, Kirk Cousins had a horrible game against the Buffalo Bills with the talent that everyone said he didn't have here, with a, a Stephon Diggs, with a, with a Seelan, with a Rudolph at tight end, with a defense against that Buffalo Bills team who ha- held, I believe, the rookie quarterback, Allen, to under 200 yards passing, and they got blown out because Kirk Cousins fumbled the ball left and right. But no one wants to talk about that. So I, I think Kirk Cousins has gained a good – I don't know how, what he's done with the, the, some of these personalities. He's gained a, he's fostered a, a very good relationship with them to a point where maybe they they feel like they're his best friends, but they're not – they don't pay it they, – they, they're too biased with the Kirk Cousins thing. This is a fact. Like it or not, you know, Kirk Cousins against the, against these, the L.A. Rams, and I'm going to a recent game, third, that Thursday night game, he played unbelievable. It wasn't his yeah. fault, right? That game was not his fault that they lost that game. He did all the stats. He did everything statistically right. He played well. But, again, this has been an issue with Kirk Cousins. And you can and anybody who watched Kirk Cousins, you can't argue this. You can try, right, but you'll be right. wrong, right? Yep. At the end of the game, when you need a winning drop, you could have the greatest games in the world. Like, stats-wise, you're killing, you're killing it. But when the game is on the line, if you consistently turn the ball over, that's yep. who you are. You yep. get what I'm saying? Like, that's who you are. We don't talk about Joe Montana fumbling, throwing interceptions in the game when it drives. What do we talk about Joe Montana? Throwing that yep. uh, pass to Dwight Clark on the Super Bowl, throwing the pass to John Taylor against the Cincinnati Bengals. We talk about Joe Montana that way. We talk yep. about Tom Brady with a game-winning drive against the Rams who are favorite. You talk about Tom Brady, the Seattle, when he beat the Seattle Seahawks. Like, you're talking about game-winning situations, right? You're game-winning. You're a comeback player. John Elway, the drive. Like, but when we talk about Kirk Cousins, right, because people want to call him elite. They want to make him a franchise quarterback. He's a he's – a, he's, I call him a stats whore. That's what he is. He's, <laughs> he, 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 he piles on the stats, and he, do, and he does a great job with it. But when you need your dog to be that dog, yeah, he ain't that dog. Sheesh. You talk about dropping the mic and sticking the landing. That's how you end an interview. That's my guy right there, Wally Akinzo, co-host of the Urban Sports Scene Podcast. You guys got to do yourself a favor. Check out the pod, man, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Wherever you check out podcasts, do yourself a favor and check this one out as well. Really dope show, really fun show, and different but smart at the same time. Wiley, man, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, Tom, I appreciate you having me on. Again, man, anytime you want to come on, you already know. You know, the feeling's mutual. You know what I mean? I, again, I like talking to, to great sports minds. And actually, truth be told, I'm going to have you on for basketball because I need to have you on for oh, basketball. Oh, man, you want to talk NBA, and you ain't saying nothing but a word. Let, let me know, and I'm dead. Because my boy Will, I mean, my co-host Will, see, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Knicks fan, too. So I know you two are vibe off of that alone. <laughs> he's a Knicks fan, <laughs> I don't know how entertaining it's going to be to everybody else, but for us, it's going to be a much-needed therapy session. <laughs> you feel me? All right, bro. Thanks again. Uh, no problem. All right, guys. We are three quarters down, so obviously we have one quarter left. And in the third quarter, we talked about boxing in the end of HBO boxing. And we talked about the platform and the position of power that the members of the media have, whether it's talking about their favorite quarterback or what they decide to or not to talk about. So we're going to put a bow around all of that in our fourth and final topic this fourth quarter. I spoke to Wally about what HBO boxing meant to him. And, you know, it's dope to speak to people who love boxing or even just casual observers. Because, again, HBO boxing is, like, huge. So when I heard the news, and again, it wasn't surprising. Earlier this week, or not this week, but earlier this year, I, I told you all who listened to the show that, yo, HBO, when you had 2017, 
an amazing year for the sport, but for the entity of HBO boxing. Think of it. They lost the best fighter in the world, Vasily Nomachenko. They lost, in many people's mind, the second best boxer in the world, Terrence Crawford. Both of those guys went on over to ESPN. Andre Ward, one of the pound-for-pound best fighters in the world, retires. Miguel Cotto, one of the more popular fighters of this era, retires. Sergey Kovalev, the next big thing, the guy who was billed. We talked about rushing to a pay-per-view, right? Andre Ward and Kovalev, they were two of the three or four best pound-for-pound fighters when they fought. They fought twice on pay-per-view. Twice. And averaged about a, a buck 75 to a buck 60 pay-per-view buys, right? Kovalev, he's falling off a cliff now. You know, that's, that's, that's what? Four? Four of your top fighters. Five, excuse me, five of your top fighters in one year either retired or fell off a cliff. That's hard to respond. That's hard to bounce back from. And and again, I may be sensitive about this because I love boxing. For those of you who are new to the show, first off, thank you very much. What took you so long? (laughs) But thank you so much. Make sure you check out all the previous episodes and make sure you follow me on Twitter at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. But for those of you who are new, boxing is my second favorite sport. It's not even close. I love boxing so much more than I love any other sport outside of the NBA. And one of the reasons why I did this show is because I feel like oftentimes boxing is in a weird space. Boxing is thriving right now thriving but when the hbo news broke everywhere i turned people who clearly are not informed kept on going on their shows whether it's television or radio sometimes even pods saying oh well hbo's getting out because boxing is dying and boxing is bad and you can't sustain itself no no boxing actually is growing it's becoming more competitive and it's becoming more expensive to have the best fighters to keep a top stable of fighters. HBO got out because it couldn't hang. I don't know if these people are paying attention. And maybe if you're not a boxing fan, maybe you're not. And that's cool if you're not. But think about it. We've got Dazen. Subscription-based platform for boxing and other action sports. ESPN. ESPN got in bed with boxing. Top rank Bob Arum and the two best I shouldn't say biggest, but two of the best fighters in the world. We know about premier boxing champions. Hell, Fox signed a deal with boxing over UFC. Fox decided, you know what? PBC, they're doing numbers that we thought we could get on Fox, but they weren't, or that we thought the UFC would be able to get on Fox, but they couldn't. Look at some of these Showtime or CBS numbers that PBC put out in recent years. Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, um, I'm sorry, not Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia, Adrian Broner. Look at these numbers. We talked about Deontay Wilder pulling a million every time he fights, and we're not even talking about Canelo, who was the biggest free agent since LeBron James. The sport is doing exceptionally well. The sport has been healthier than UFC 
for comparison, I'm not hating on the UFC. I'm not hating on them at all. But for comparison's sake, boxing has been healthier than the UFC for the last several years. But for some strange reason, the majority of fans, because the majority of members in the sports media have billed boxing as this dying, decaying sport and the UFC as this ascending product. And it couldn't be further from the truth. It's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because as a boxing fan, I'm like, where can I go? Yeah, Max Kellerman knows sports and yeah, Chris Mannix knows the sport. But outside of those two, where can I go? And it brings me to my last point, man, because as someone who who loves sports, as someone who's worked in sports for over a decade, man, I, I see the way things are played and it goes kind of not it's not an apples to apples comparison when it comes to what Wally and I were talking about relative to Kirk Cousins in, in the D.C. area, in the media specifically. But we as fans can be swayed by perception, right? What is it that everyone's talking about? It doesn't necessarily have to be true, but if you talk about it enough, then yo, well, he's talking about it. He's on this platform. It has to be right. It's it's unless you are just naturally a skeptic, which I think as I get older, I'm becoming more and more up. It's hard not to just kind of fall for it. You know, if someone on your radio dial who you listen to four hours a day, Monday through Friday, if they keep on telling you that, hey, man, boxing is a dying sport and that the UFC is bigger or they don't even have to necessarily say it that specifically. But if they only talk about the UFC and never talk about boxing, of course, your mind is going to just naturally gravitate to, OK, well, the UFC is bigger than boxing. Look at the ratings. Look at the pay-per-view buys. And obviously, Conor McGregor is the biggest draw in UFC. I'm interested, if you are, to see what he pulls relative to what Canelo pulled. Because the biggest pay-per-view that Conor McGregor ever had was in a boxing ring. And it isn't close. But that is another point. In D.C., we're talking about where Sugar Ray Leonard is from. Sugar Ray Leonard has a boxing gym right down the street from where I live. Not not right down the street, but you get the point. I'm listening to the radio last year when this big showdown between McGregor and Mayweather was going on. And although it was a boxing fight, although it was in a boxing ring with boxing gloves, every time anyone on the radio spoke about that fight, who did they have on? They had on a UFC guy. Think about how crazy that is. Imagine, and it'll never happen because people were talking about this last year as well, that maybe Floyd gets in the octagon. Imagine how insane it would be that when Floyd Mayweather is going to step into an octagon, again, this is a complete hypothetical, that we had boxing guys talk about it, even though it's a UFC fight, a mixed martial arts fight. We have boxing guys talking about it. You wouldn't do it. It makes no sense. And yet here we are. This is what we did. As a fan of boxing and even on a bigger level, as a fan of the NBA, ask yourself this question. How many times has a big fight happened and everybody somehow is an expert on boxing? 
every single time. You haven't heard this person speak 10 words about boxing all year, but when it's a big-time fight, they're talking about what the keys to victory is, and this person got robbed, and these judges, and all this other stuff that has nothing to do with the fight. When did they become experts? Because the funny thing for me, and again, I could be sensitive. Let me know if I'm just being off, right? Just being extra. But when the Ryder Cup happens, I don't hear everybody just all of a sudden talk about golf, right? The people who know about golf, they take the lead, as they should, mind you. But the people who don't, either they qualify their opinion by saying, you know what, I don't know much about golf, but yada, 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 or they just fall out completely. They don't talk about it. They don't become experts. The NHL season just started. Shout out to the Caps. Seven nothing. You understand? That's how you that's how you that's how you start the quest for a repeat. But no one who's not a hockey expert fakes or flexes like they are. Right? You'll get caught out real quick. There have been people who try to just even try to talk the bare minimum of hockey, and hockey fans will swarm them saying, You don't know what you're talking about. Easily. If you do not follow the sport of hockey, you don't then pretend to be an expert just because the Capitals are playing or because they're the champions. How is it that whether it's tennis, whether it's hockey, golf, whatever the case may be, right? Soccer is another sport that's like this. If you are not, if you do not know much about soccer, if you don't talk about soccer that much, you don't then start flexing like you're an expert. But when it comes to boxing, everybody has something to say. Everybody's an expert. Everybody wants to be, you know, customado. Everybody knows everything about the sweet science. And it's not just boxing. And again, I could be sensitive because these are my two favorite sports, but I feel the same way when it comes to the NBA. When I listen to people talk about basketball, they will say some of the most outlandish things. And it's clear they don't watch the sport when it comes about the NBA. It's clear they don't watch the sport. It's clear they don't know what they're talking about. And that's cool. I don't talk about baseball because I wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But if something baseball related comes up, boom, I'll hit up Chase. Chase Hughes, my guy from two weeks ago on the show. Or someone else I know who can provide a certain amount of insight, but I'm not going to flex like I, I'm, in this, I'm this expert. Why is it that when it comes to the NBA or boxing specifically, everybody acts like an expert, even though it's clear they don't know what they're talking about? You can imagine how frustrating that is for someone like myself who loves the NBA and who loves boxing. You can imagine we live in the so-called information age, and yet people have this disdain for being informative, for having the understanding of this information, even though it's readily available. You can imagine how frustrating that is. It led me to this point here, talking to you right now. This is one of the main reasons why I felt compelled to bring this podcast. I know I'm not the only person who loves boxing. I know I'm not the only person who follows the sport. I know I'm not the only person who loves the NBA. But man, it's hard. It's hard. Hopefully, hopefully, if you're new to the show, 
you become a fan. Hopefully, you give me one more week to listen to what I have to say. Or not just me, to guys like Wallace. Guys, other people, guys and gals who are on this show who are providing a certain amount of information and insight to sports that are oftentimes specifically in the D.C. area, man, overlooked. The Washington Wizards are about to embark on a hugely important, a pivotal season for this franchise and organization and their star player. Take a wild guess how much time is devoted to this team. We know the ratings are up, that there is a, an increased fan interest, but for whatever reason, it doesn't translate to the people in the position to deliver you and myself the sports talk that we crave, that we have demanded. Luckily, we live in an information age and we live in the age where you, if you're not being satisfied, you have all the outlets at your disposal. And if you found this podcast, I'm thankful and grateful to you for that. But it shouldn't be that hard. Not in D.C., not in other major markets. It shouldn't be. Hopefully, this was an easy listen for all of you all out there. Again, this is episode 75, man. I'm, I can't tell you guys how excited I am for what's to come, but how grateful I am for each and every one of you all checking me out each week. Make sure you let everybody know what your thoughts are on the show. Let me know. Let your friends know. Let the world know what you feel about the quarterly report. Good, bad, and everything in between. Give us a rate and review on iTunes. Easy for me to say. I was about to say all types of stuff. But go on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Give me a five-star review. Let me, let the world know your thoughts on the quarterly report podcast. And if you want to talk to me and engage with me even more, Head on over to Twitter. Give me a follow at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Follow me. We got a lot of fun stuff on the page. Let me know your thoughts on the show. Let me know your thoughts on, give me your predictions on Wilder Fury pay-per-view buys. I'm really curious to see what you guys think will be the, the outcome for that fight. And each and every Friday, the podcast gets released on Thursdays. Each and every Friday, we do a fun thing on Twitter, Top 5 Fridays. Make sure you follow me and see my thoughts this week on the five best comic villains of all time on television or movies. I think, you know, I'm going to rattle a few feathers, but this is my genuine feeling. Make sure you follow me and reply with your favorite five. Each Friday, I'm doing another Top 5 list, so you guys make sure you check out for that. And finally, make sure you follow me on instagram quarterly report again it's q u a r t e r l e e report we got a lot of dope stuff on that page as well we got snippets behind the scenes uh sound bites from interviews that don't make the show we've got really fun stuff on there as well and every other monday man i'm super excited about this i'm a fan of the wire i'm a fan of the nba so i'm blending the two we got my wire nba comparisons where i am comparing the biggest stars of the nba to your favorite characters from, in my opinion, the best show of all time. Every other Monday, Wire NBA comparisons only on the Quarterly Report on Instagram. Make sure you follow me on Instagram as well. All right, guys, shout out to my guy, Wally Akinzo. Thank you again for joining me this week. And thanks to each and every one of you all for listening to the Quarterly Report. Y'all be safe. I'll see you next Thursday.